Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Oh my god, this guy should be in Bartlett's. <laughs> if Bartlett's was without fucking a headless dead girl, am I right? You are right. <laughs> I think the whole Bartlett's quotations would be very different if each quote was about having sex with a headless fucking corpse. I don't know what Bartlett's is. You've never no. done a, a research paper? <laughs> You've never tried to make an, an, an AIM away message? Something oh, classy? Are those cliff notes for smart, smart smarts? No, 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 no. It's books of quotes uh, that I used to read, I guess, in the seventh or eighth grade. Then you'd say something like that where it's like, uh, I, I don't know, like... Uh, Nah, I would fight for truth. I would fight for freedom. But instead, I fight for these laundry bags. Or it's like some weird pithy <laughs> oh, quote from like Oscar Wilde or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't make up quotes like that. No. Half Oscar Wilde qu- quotes. It's, it's all Oscar Wilde quotes and all just being like, I'd suck a boy's dick if it had cream in it. Oh, wait, it does. <laughs> well, Oscar Wilde. And they put that on his grave. <laughs> I guess depending on the age there. Um, all right, we're ready to start? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. hope so. <laughs> I fucking hope so. That wasn't your behind-the-scenes banter? No, no, I, mm. yeah, I, I, I did it for the audience. But I also oh, did good. it for us. Thank you. That's Marcus Parks. I'm Ben Kissel. He's taking a sip of coffee right now. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this. You know, I'm feeling a little lonely these days. Yeah. Things have been really, you know, the apartment's empty. I'm right. dealing with a lot of really stuff. Really empty. Really empty. Yeah, not even a kitchen table. Not a lot of furniture in my home. No. Heat standing up. I, oh, I man. have to because I lost all my furniture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never be Edmund Kemper lonely. No. <laughs> you well. know what I mean? That's the thing. Reading about his life, I'll realize, you know what? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing better than Edmund Kemper, Henry. <laughs> and if that's your base for success, everybody in the free world is doing better than Edmund Kemper. Everybody but sweet, sweet Edmund Kemper. That's who we're discussing today. Finally got to the big guy, oh. the, the massive man, the biggest serial killer that's ever existed, now, Mr. In our, Kemper. In our big hitter series, this guy is sort of like a Randy Johnson. He, right? He's the big unit. He's the big unit. We got, yeah, Edmund Kemper, the co-ed butcher, the co-ed killer, Big Ed. Oh, big, yeah. Big, friendly, dumb Ed. I wonder how he got that name. 
Mm. Big Ed. Six foot nine, 300 pounds. Yikes. Little chubby. Oh, I'd hate to be his pants. Oh, huge. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. He is a very big man. Funny little mustache, which I think is fun. Mm. Um, he was a very sweet guy. Sweet, fun guy. Oh. I mean, in, in at the cop bar. Yeah. Very sweet, fun guy. And yeah, at we'll the get... highway department, his friend, he had friends, or should we say acquaintances. He had acquaintances. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Also, what I would say about him is... Uh, my my feelings towards Edmund Kemper is that he's sort of like uh, a Gamergate nerd. <laughs> he is the type of killer that I find to be the most uh, pathetic. Yeah. It's a, because, you know, like, Dahmer was tortured and Ted Bundy was another sort of displacement killer that we'll talk about later on in the podcast. And But, like, Ted Bundy was kind of, at least he had, like, people around him. He was just a true fucking psychopath. And Charles Manson was getting his dick sucked 24-7. Um, Edmund Kemper... Really needed like mystery from the game. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? He couldn't. This is all because he couldn't talk to women. Yeah. If Edmund Kemper, if if he didn't have the childhood that he had, he would have been that really nice guy that worked at the highway department that just watched really fucked up porn. Maybe. Or he would have been the co-ed killer. <laughs> Who knows? But yes. Might go with the latter. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, like, let's uh, go f- first go through a little bit about Edmund Kemper. He killed and defiled six co-eds, his mother and his mother's best friend, over a period of three years in Santa Cruz, California, in the early 1970s. Oh, what I also mm-hmm. say about him, too, is that I, I remember researching about him before, but I forgot how... Um, how defiled mm. these corpses were. This guy. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. He was a bit of, you know how like Martha Stewart makes like the doilies. It's like, you know, if you leave her alone, you know, she'll shoot out fucking 90 fucking doilies <laughs> out of her office. Mm-hmm. That's what he was doing with cutting chicks heads off and sucking on their feet. <laughs> yeah, he was a real wild fella. Can you, you just imagine? Leave him alone, idle hands. Is there anything more annoying to kill than your mother and her friends? Oh my <laughs> oh. God. Talking about pinochle constantly. <laughs> Well, according to Peter Vronsky in my favorite serial killer book, Serial Killers, The Method of Madness of Monsters, Kemper could be described as a displacement killer. He killed eight people before he finally killed the person that he wanted to murder all along. King Koopa. <laughs> you got King Koopa? Hey, King Koopa's know. dead? I can't believe King Koopa's dead. I'm free. I love <laughs> King Koopa. And that plumber was always trying to hurt him. I went and I got that cousin at the Koopa, but I didn't fly in a hammer as I came. Oh, it hit me right in my belly buttons. Oh, my God. Because I have two. Three <laughs> times. That's all it took. Mm. No, it was his mother. It was not King Koopa. Oh, it was, it, his, it was his mother. Uh, so, also, I feel like that's also very rare in serial killers where they actually got to the source. Yes. Mm. Where right. A lot yeah. of times they'll kill They'll kill around it because it's like Ted Bundy had built up an image of a woman that he wanted to murder. Well, it wasn't an image of a woman. It was a woman who had scorned him. Yes. And so he had went after her for forever. Yeah. He went after women that looked just like yeah, her. Yeah. The long brown long hair. hair parted in the middle. Um, and so hmm. he actually got it. He actually got the dream. Yeah. He got to play for the Yankees. <laughs> got the big prize. Got the World Series ring. So as far as Santa Cruz, California goes, see, okay, a bit of history about that. In 1965, the University of California opened an adjacent campus. And, and that with, just blew up the hippie population. Oh, my God, the hippie population. Because it was a retirement and tourist community uh, at the time. But within seven years of the university uh, arriving in Santa Cruz... 
Santa Cruz became what was known as the murder capital of the world. It's just so weird because it used to be the boogie board capital of the world. <laughs> and that's the fastest the boogie board capital of anywhere is turned into the murder capital. Yeah, oh. I don't think that's ever happened before. Except for Cleveland. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not but, a lot of water. Yeah, the yeah. boogie board f- phase of Cleveland was short. Well, they didn't think through. No, 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 because all they had the was these water. empty alleyways and yeah. burnt-out football stadiums. But it rains every now and again, <laughs> so you never know when you can use it. The reason why it was known as the murder capital of the world is because during the period of 1970 to 1973, there was a spate of murders. John, First of all, John Frazier, who was an extremist in the hippie lifestyle, killed a household of five in the Manson family style, meaning he killed them all in one night to stop what he viewed as the spread of progress that was ruining the natural environment. Well, he's got to kill more than that to do that. And oh, they also yeah. need to be guys r- driving SUVs. That's the problem. That's Think about that. Think oh, about yeah. that. Get yeah. Ted Nugent. Oh, yeah. Get, get him then. <laughs> Go get Ted Nugent. Herbert Mullen, he killed 13 Santa Cruz residents to, as he claimed, stop a super earthquake from sending California into the ocean. We don't know that he didn't just save the planet. That is actually the truth. (laughs) He could have been a planeteer. Exactly. It could be fire, water, wind, earth, heart, and um, and butchering with knives. I remember that ring. That was a tough ring to get. Your mother would never buy it for you. (coughs) That's the greatest thing about people who killed for a reason that is supernatural. You never know when they're telling the truth. You don't know. It may be true. He could have. He could have stopped the ghost civil war. We just don't know, do we? Now, yeah, ghost versus ghost, brother against brother. Mm -hmm. Let him out. Let him out of prison. And of course, Edmund Kemper killed six freewheeling hitchhiking coeds. And it could be said that there is possibly some sort of cosmic balance here: the love of the hippie Mm -hmm. movement with the hatred of the rise of serial killers in the late 60s and early 70s. This is why if your daughter goes to college, get her a car. You know, you cannot have them out there just hitchhiking all over the place. This should be the new Toyota Toyota or Nissan commercials. When your daughter's <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. going to college, like do you want Kemper, her hitchhiking? Manson, Bundy. What were they doing? Uh, yeah. They were walking. <laughs> no one's ever been pulled from their Prius and murdered. It also could be definitely be proof that hippies are just really easy prey. I, so we right, were, right, right. We were actually yeah. talking about this about how, like, yeah, it's really easy to, to kill a bunch of hippies. Just be, if you're calling yourself fucking Moonbeam and you're <laughs> not saying, hi, my name's Larry Gilmore to everybody, <laughs> nobody knows who you are. Oh, it's no. easy for you to slide into an orgy and f- fall off a back deck into a ravine. You know what I mean? <laughs> that like, happened a lot. How, how many yeah. orgies were dead? Just cause slick with lube, <laughs> smoking a cigarette, just being like, I don't know. I kind of do like the new Beatles. Slippery slip. And he literally slips for for three minutes. Right. Sliding on his own luby-covered feet Mm -hmm. and then shoots over the railing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Never seen again. (laughs) Mm, Thank God. Well, guys like Kemper, they effectively helped to end the hippie movement. Yeah. Thank you, Edmund Kemper. (laughs) And usher in the super violent 70s. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) That's a thing. I like the hippies a little bit. The hippies were more fun. Yeah. The thing is, these girls that he was killing were not even necessarily hippies. They were just college girls. A lot of them right. were very, uh, he because that's the kind of woman that he liked, which was uh, demure, petite, five foot two, pretty buxom, pr- gorgeous yeah, women. Because he said, you know, I ain't the best thing to look at, but, you know, I like a pretty girl. Yeah, yeah, he does <laughs> like a pretty girl. How he's unique. one of those guys. He's one of those dudes that looks like shit. He's fat, but he's like... Look at that fucking pig. I'm not going to fuck that fucking pig. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right, right. Because it's a promise that if they got a big, thick old neck, 
it's so hard to get the bone saw through all that meat. <laughs> right. And it's a good, nice, petite young girl. Ooh, so nice. You just take a paring knife, slip, slip, slip. You got a head all of your own. Sure. Yeah, I've seen that infomercial for yeah. the knife. Ginsu. Yeah, for the Ginsu, <laughs> the ninja knife. I forgot that part of it where they were talking about petite. Yeah, women. where it's a screaming petite college co-ed tied mm-hmm. to a tear, and he just slowly slices through her, and then he's like, and I could still cut through a tomato. Wow, <laughs> and it did. Yeah. I think I'm going to buy it. Well, these girls, they weren't really, they were not hippies, but they were still living that kind of hippie lifestyle. They everyone were still was just a hippie, influenced right? By, yeah, pretty much. Kind of how everyone's just a hipster now. Back yeah. then, everybody was kind of a hippie. Now, uh, Kemper, he was among the very first serial killers to talk to the FBI Behavioral Sciences Unit, which really led into uh, serial killer profiling, uh, led to the commission of like Wayne Williams and people like that. This guy mm-hmm. loved to fucking talk. He has the among the largest public archives of interviews of any serial killer. He's up there with like the Dahmer two-hour interview. Yeah, we, uh, but there's like has a- like five or six hours he of interviews. He could have gotten into radio. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because I mean... We already got a six foot seven monster right here. Hello, how are you? <laughs> he would have been perfect for radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of his interviews he did hours after his conviction. Yes, and what I what I actually think is about that uh, about his personality and feeds that is that he really was very lonely. He lived a very interior life. We're going to cover it now. He was he had a very hard time reaching out. That was always his thing. He said that I want to communicate. I want to talk with people and have them understand me. But uh, I, I just keep killing them. Uh, <laughs> uh, and well, but, then Ursula, <laughs> he sounds like the Little Mermaid. He's That's a little really bit what like, it is. He, if yes, he needs exactly. to go confront his Ursula, and Man. he needs to get his goddamn father back. Little and Mermaid he needs to three, get his legs. L- little Mermaid three. Ariel has gotten legs. She is mm. now six foot nine, three hundred pounds. Ooh, I love this heaving, one. heaving monster mm. who's driving around looking for hitchhikers and who she pick up Sebastian the crab. Oh my god, right? I hate and that Sebastian. She's got Sebastian the car and he's like. Sebastian, I just, uh, where, are you, where are you going? Going to Palo Alto? Yeah? Going to Palo Alto? Yeah, man! we going to Palo Alto! <laughs> yeah, that's cool, huh? Why are you stuck up? Huh? <laughs> Too good to talk to me? <laughs> no, I just wanted to sing a song about being under the... I got this pot of water! <laughs> pot oh of water! God. And he starts boiling on a hot yeah. plate in the back seat. Under yeah. the sea. I'd love that movie. Well, before we get into his childhood, I just want to make one caveat at the very beginning here. A lot of the information we have about Ed Kemper comes from Kemper himself, but it is worth noting that he gives conflicting information in different interviews. He that says, is why d- we'll be discussing Kemper's huge penis over and over <laughs> and over again because he brings it up relatively regularly. No, he, he tells he tells about five different stories. Yeah. Yes, uh, and, and while they are while the differences, it isn't like a completely different story every time there are the details are off and he also gave a different testimony on the stand after he was caught than he did in his confession to police the man understands the journalistic uh, idea of that the story is better than the truth yeah mm-hmm. the, so, that if you have the yeah. different if you have the choice between the legend and the truth go for the legend yes that's yeah the Brian, he, he's Brian actually, Williams effect <laughs> he he's actually very it. good at narrative honestly he's a very good storyteller well, yeah yeah we'll get into the books on tape oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, 
Ed, Edmund Emil Kemper the Third was born. In, <laughs> I didn't try with that middle name very. I think hard. it's Amel. Emil. I think it's a meal. No, Emil? it's Emil. Do you remember uh, Dragnet? Remember the Dragnet movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. With, Emil. Why would I? Yeah, with you Dan remember? Ac- yeah, everyone Dan, remembers the yeah. Dragnet movie. Satanism was involved. <laughs> yeah, Henry. yeah. How could you not love that? Remember? But I remember on. the uh, the guy that was kind of the henchman. His name was Emil Scuzz. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was pronounced, and it was spelled E-M-I-L, so I know it's Amel. Great. Uh, right, <laughs> we got that. Is great. <laughs> he was born in Burbank, California, middle child and the only son to Edmund Amel Kemper Jr., who came in at six foot eight, and his wife, Clarnell. Yeah, Clarnell is an odd one. Yeah. You don't, you don't hear that name too often, and I don't ever want to hear it again. <laughs> no, because it's for show horses. <laughs> it sounds like a way to get popcorn from the back of your throat. Clarnell. 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 Yeah, Clarnell. Yeah, extremely domineering, violent alcoholic, definitely made a habit of berating Ed in public whenever she could. It sounds like the first name of, like, a commandant of a police, like, <laughs> department, or, like, you know, like, yeah. Clarnell, get in here! Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bizarre one. She was a big woman as well. She topped out at six feet tall. Yeah, she was a very big, uh, domineering woman. Um, again, we're going to see this uh, as a constant in many serial killer narratives. She owned... Edmund Kemper's life yeah. as a child. Yeah, at the age of eight, she disciplined him by forcing him to sleep in the family cellar for eight months. The only way he could get out was through an exit, through a trap door that was underneath the family dinner table. So okay. every I, night they would pull the dinner table out, let right. Edmund in, push it back over again, and of course he couldn't get back out until the next morning. Trapped. I'm just going to make the case. That this sounds like an extremely fun little hiding hole. It does. <laughs> it really it sounds really awesome. If I was under the trap door under the kitchen, I, I would I be making little army plans. Yeah, I'd be looking at it being like, it's like the Goonies. It would be so exciting. You just sell it to the kid like it's right. the Goonies, and then guess what? You don't have to see your kid for a good eight to ten hours a day. That's a tip for parents. It's a tip <laughs> for parents. Don't let them know you're hiding, you're putting him away because you're worried he's going to molest it. <laughs> your daughters or his sisters. Yeah, you tell them that we're, it's a pirate room. <laughs> exactly. Make it fun for the future serial killer. So Ed's father, when uh, Ed was nine, his father left, sick and tired of Clarnell. Uh, after his father left, uh, Ed became a gigantic John Wayne fan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Gacy-esque. Yeah, yeah. Went, and that went all throughout his life. That's one of the ways he was able to ingratiate himself into the cop lifestyle at the jury room. Where because he, he would walk in and literally do like John Wayne impressions and, mm-hmm. uh, and they just loved him. Yeah. He really got along with the cops. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's something really about well. a bunch of drunk, mustachioed cops that totally. love a six foot nine woman murderer. Doing John <laughs> Wayne impressions. There was that time doesn't exist any longer. John Wayne was the only dude that was really around. That's what every single guy modeled themselves after. What yeah. about Rock Hudson? Well, you know. <laughs> So Ed's mother constantly compared him to his father. She fucking hated this is his like, father. Have you found any details as to why she hated the father so much or why she kept saying, because that was the thing, is that she kept saying she he was just like his father. Well, one of the things about his mother is that she was diagnosed with borderline, per, or they they think that she had borderline personality disorder. Because she became disorder. super paranoid about both of them, right? Yeah, about both of them, about them leaving her. That's one of the signs of uh, borderline personality disorder. She was married three times. So Ooh. she had... So 
so had, romantic. Yeah. <laughs> she had a problem with relationships. Let's just say that. All right. Uh, so at the age of 10, Ed already above average size. You know what that's like, Ben. No, Do- I don't. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Be- no. Ben is... No, I, mean, I am five foot seven year- inches tall. <laughs> what about Ben, the petite one Kissel? Yes. What would Do- he know about above average size? Yeah. I know nothing about what Edmund Kemper's lifestyle was as a child. <laughs> His mother described him as, quote, a real weirdo. It's because she was obsessed with the idea that he would come out of his room at night and molest his sisters. And this is why I'm saying, it's like, yes, I I imagine it was partially unfounded because she was mentally ill and she looked at him and she kind of saw his father and she was like, you know he's going to molest. He's going to molest as soon as the chains comes off. But the problem is is that I also think that uh, I I feel like uh, the thinking someone's going to molest somebody street it's a two-way street, and I think <laughs> yeah. that a lot of the times is that it's it's probably knowing how Edmund turned out. Yeah, that he maybe was given a little bit too hard of a gander at his sisters, and it's his what, and his mother possibly saw it. Uh, yeah. Because we're going to look at this. To me, this is the key to Edmund Kemper's personality. It really is. Is that she was she put him away, saying that you're going to molest these kids, basically immediately taking the idea of women and these like the the uh, and placing them on a pedestal above him. And one thing we know is you don't put that pussy on a pedestal. <laughs> no, no, no. You keep it attached. to A the taxi person. driver told me that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Always take love <laughs> advice from a taxi driver. That's a great idea. Yep. Ed, who was by the way, when he was a kid, he was Nick. Named Guy, which is a real weird nickname for a big. It's like calling a, a, somebody a local man. <laughs> yeah, Guy. Yeah. He was sent to permanently sleep locked in the basement every single night. The only yeah. light was a bare bulb hanging from a wire. Again, kind of cool. If you're a child, you can play with this. Say this I'm playing. You dope. just tell him again. This is we're playing the game called Russian Prisoner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> CIA interrogation room. Yep. He said this is where he allowed his hatred of women to fester and grow. Mm. He said he'd stare into the flames at the furnace for hours and later told FBI profilers this is where he saw the devil's face for the first time. I remember I saw the devil's face for the first time and I fell in love. That's nice. And I I was just sitting there and I saw it. I looked in the mirror and I saw a flash of him and he said, kill people at the mall. And I was just like, you're funny. Yeah, devil from 1988. No one goes to the mall anymore. Um, Well, where do they go now? Well, they're mostly online. They do a lot of Amazon shopping. So kill people in their homes? Okay. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. You're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person
It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do, and the memories keep cycling, and I get emotional, and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy, and that is not sad. That is celebratory, so you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at. See if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Uh, my other, uh, so she put him in that closet to toughen him up. No, well, that's why he, he, well, that's another one of the conflicting things. He said, but again, if you think he's going to be molesting your daughters, probably shouldn't be toughing him up, right? <laughs> no, you want to weaken him. Yeah, you want to you weaken the boy. So shortly after he got exiled to the basement, he killed the family cat by burying it alive, and that was kind of a revenge, his first revenge against women, because he believed that the cat has switched its attentions from him over to his sisters, and he said mm. that he killed it to, quote, make it mine. And this is where yeah. they should have called the cat daddy, Jackson Galaxy. <laughs> To fix that cat's oh, yeah. temperamental problem. It's not problems. a bad man. He's it's just misunderstood. misunderstood. Very misunderstood. <laughs> or completely understood by his mother. We don't really know. Yeah, so after burying the cat, Kemper dug it back up again, cut off the head, and mounted it on a stick in his room. And mm. amazingly enough, he was able to talk his way out of it. He was able to lie and tell his mother that, no, 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 I'm not sick. I'm not fucked up. I don't know what he told her exactly to get out of it, but it was the first lie he of probably that said sort. It. Yeah, I mean, mom, mom, this is uh, this is what I like to call uh, a stinky lollipop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was the his first uh, 
it was his first experience in hiding the darkness and being able to persuade people that no, there is not a necrophiliac murder he, behind this well, facade. This is a regular want, nice guy. You got to know if you want to keep that head before you bury it. That's you know, he true. just gave himself more work to do. Pre-plan. Really Pre-plan. Yeah. Also, I think that what we're looking at, Edmund Kemper, of all of the killers we've covered, is probably the deepest sociopath of all of them. Oh, my God. Where it's like, we're John Wayne Gacy. You know, oh, like, because I, I look at him as like, John Wayne Gacy is the ultimate to me in cloaking his personality, right? Where it's like he was a politician, big public figure, but I think, and and, you know, and then secretly was a boy murderer and love suck, suck, suck. Um, but I think that there is a difference. Like John Wayne Gacy got to do sort of play out his fake personality on a macro level. Like he got to do it in public, uh, on TV, in front of people, like in in board, like in front of like you know the boys at the fucking lodge and shit like that. Where Edmund Kemper's fake personality was right on top and it was a personal thing because everyone just said the same thing it was like he's a nice guy he was a sweet guy and like because that's his persona he's this affable kind of guy but he's a truly he's a fucking monster yeah well and, yeah sure and if you watch his interviews anytime they ask him a question there is no pause before an answer no but- there's no thinking there is no remorse there's nothing there there is just the um there's not remorse there's not like i should he, i don't think he ever says like i shouldn't have done this it's more like i did a horrible thing yes like, like he doesn't. Say, he rarely says, "I shouldn't have done this." Uh, so Kemper, not unlike Dahmer, who, if we remember, played Infinity Land. Yeah. Kemper also he had a weird, bizarre childhood game. His favorite one was Gas Chamber. Mm. Yeah. His sister would tie him up and throw an imaginary switch, and then Ed would tumble to the floor and pretend to die of gas. It's kind of a funny one. It, it, does, it is yeah. fun, actually. Yeah. Jackie and I used work. to play animals. We would <laughs> pretend to be different animals. Yeah, that's that's a normal one. That's a normal one. Yeah, then you yeah. gotta relate to the animals, and you don't kill the cat. And then you Paul don't. would come. No, no, no. And Paul said, "Which one of y'all's the prairie dog?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, and "Not then, me again, Daddy. Not me again." Right. So you're making light of a terrible situation. <laughs> I'm happy you got through it, Henry. So at age seven, uh, he would sneak out of his house with his father's bayonet and go to his second grade teacher's house and watch her through the windows. And he would fantasize. Even at this young age, he said, he said he would fantasize about killing her and having sex with her, her corpse. He said, "I." knew long before I started killing that I was going to be killing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but that's a normal cycle. I, I went through a whole thing. It's like you couldn't even keep a pitchfork around me because I'd take the pitchfork out and I'd go stare at the gym teacher's house, but it was mostly just because I was sick of climbing that fucking rope. Oh, I hated <laughs> the rope. The rope was terrible. So we had a real call-in. Oh, yeah, yeah, from a very young age. It's like how I always knew I wanted to be in radio. If he wasn't too big for the Navy, he could have been a good Navy man. God, if only we could have fit him in a submarine. Uh, Oh, my God. So, but when his t- sister teased him about wanting to kiss a teacher of his, and this actually comes from his sister's testimony on the stand, he said, if I kissed her, I'd have to kill her first. This is at age seven. So this yeah. guy had these necrophiliac tendencies from a very young age. Yeah, but I feel like people, kids are weird. Kids are super weird. I was well, that, that, but that's a little bit stranger than usual. Like usually, kids are just like, I wouldn't kiss her. I wouldn't. I don't want to get cooties, you know. And yeah. then he's just like, I'll only kiss her after I murder her. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's possible. Or, or like when kids see ghosts and shit like that. Well, that's yeah. what's like, scary when they're like, yes. there's a man in the corner. He's got a top hat, and he says, "End it, end it, mommy." 
Mm. Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, it's Talking about slavery, huh? <laughs> Isn't that something? The Emancipation Proclamation is coming right from your closet, huh? So 13, Ed ran away from home, and they were living in Helena, Montana at this point. Ooh, and he made it- Nice place. Super awful place. Helena, Montana. <laughs> God damn. Helena, Montana? Yeah. Sounds like a fatter, fatter, fatter. fatter Miley Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Helena, Montana. I'm here for I'm Helena, Montana. No one wants to know my real identity. Okay, you have a neck beard. We're looking for a 13-year-old girl. Cannot just pretend. Cannot just act it. <laughs> he ran from Helena, Montana. He made it to Los Angeles, where his father was living. Tall guy. Uh, and he, yeah, because he said, "I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go live with Daddy now. Yeah. I'm gonna go live with Daddy." Because Ed believed that they were very close. He loved his father, yeah. and he idolized his father but, growing up. Mm, father did not return the sentiment. No, his ex-wife, his new wife, uh, uh, actually said, uh, "Please send uh, Eddie away. He gives me migraines." Yeah, yeah. His very presence gave his. His stepmom migraines. I mean, he's a huge kind of tartar boy who's like not hers. I would assume that his own mother didn't want him. There's Why also, would this other lady want him? Because at this point, he's probably like six foot four. He's a big fucking yes. bungle, bungle butt. Is what he even calls himself. He could, no, no, no. A it's bumble a, butt. Yeah, uh, when he said he's talking about uh, talking to girls, he said, you know, I talk uh, talk to girls. I was a real bumble butt. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he was. He's a bumble butt, and so <laughs> he's kind of a pain he has to be around. And he's probably knocking over your glass figurines. Accidentally, and though. Yeah, because he's so big, wallowing <laughs> his big fucking fat ass all over the fucking I'm going to defend him. We live in a world that is not equipped to handle the size of a man who is 6'4", 13. Ripping cabinet doors. Off that is the knocking over the stop refrigerator. Stop going to shoddy, this shoddy craftsmanship. It's got to be able to handle a, a strong pull. But this is the problem. If it's got to be a specialty house to house your fucking buffalo-like body. But why does it have to be a specialty house and not just a house? Because the rest of us are normal size. Yeah, the vast majority of people. What about all of the uh, the little people, Ben? What about them? What about them? He's talking about <laughs> they're the, doing great. He's talking about the grumpy gnomes. <laughs> That's what I like to call them, and I've heard they actually prefer that term. Yes, <laughs> grumpies. <laughs> yeah, grumpies are kind of funny though. Grumpies. So after he was sent back home, uh, in retaliation, he killed another family cat. This time, he got a little more gruesome with it. He cut off the top of its skull with the machete and exposed the brains, kept the dismembered body in his closet until his mother found the cat parts. Yeah, it got to stink a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah. smelly. And I, uh, I heard a, a psychiatrist, one of these uh, forensic people, talking about why a lot of serial killers, especially serial killers who kill women, kill cats as kids. Oh, specifically cats. Yes, uh, symbolically, the cat is a feminine animal. Yeah, Ooh. so it's a slinky thing. And also, because I'll, I'll also put it this way, especially in Kemper's case, is that they are selective with their attention. Ah. Uh, and they are very, and there's something about a, uh, you know, like, Maybe if Dahmer had a dog, maybe <laughs> he would have been fine. Because a dog's always happy to see you, even if you beat the fuck out of it. Mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. A, a cat, that's hard to get. Even yeah. me, and I'm oh, sweet yeah. to cats. I nuzzle, and I'll sit on my lap, and I give them treats, and I kiss them, and I smell their paws, and I play with their tails and stuff like that. And even they'll ignore me or yeah. run away from me. <laughs> Sounds like you terrorize them, and they hate being around you, and you try to bribe them so you can pull their tail. So shortly after the second cat incident... 
Ed was sent off to live with his paternal grandparents. Man, they are passing uh, this buck. Yeah. My God. Like hardcore. Yeah. It's hard to have a bumble butt in the house. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> so though his grandparents were named Edmund and Maud Kemper. Ooh, solid people of the earth. Yeah, very solid people. Uh, solid and was, means fat. <laughs> yeah, they got to be. It's a big family. The whole family is going to be a little hefty. Yeah. Yeah, and it was Ed's father who actually sent him to live with his parents, but his mother, who was kind of, who actually was starting to get a pretty good insight into him, she called him up and she said, "You might wake up one day and find they've been killed." And the way, oh mm-hmm. God, good Lord, mm-hmm. the huge phones they must have had in both houses. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> comically large phones. Got to, you know, they got to communicate. Yeah, and he was as soon as he got there, he was given a twenty-two cal rifle. A lot of young kids were. Ed was in the Boy Scouts, right. and in fact, that's where he learned how to use a knife uh, and to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hide grave sites and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, the Boy Scouts taught a lot of people how to become future killers. Oh, that yeah. Is, I mean, that yeah, was yeah, the yeah. intention, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, Hitler to... Hitler created the idea of the Boy Scouts just right. to make stronger soldiers for the fatherland. Mm-hmm. So what? He, technically, we're wasting all these soldiers we're building with the knots we're teaching them and the campfire shit that they can set and the mm-hmm. selling the cookies if they're a girl one. <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy out there how many soldiers we're just letting wither on the vine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I guess we want more of them. <laughs> Is that the thing? <laughs> but, you know, when they found out that he continued uh, his practice of killing domesticated animals and pets, the gun was taken away. But this being a ranch, they still kept plenty of guns around the And that's house. the thing. Right. Ed, Ed's grandmother uh, kept a gigantic forty five in her in her, I guess it's in her underwear drawer, somewhere in her clothes. In, yeah, in her underwear? In her underwear drawer? But in her dresser. She yeah. kept it yeah. one. And she would come out and literally see him just playing with it. Yeah. Like, he'd have this gun and be like, oh, <laughs> right, like right. making fucking sauce with it and like cooking <laughs> eggs with it and shit like that. And so it got to a point where she, she'd she have to take it with her places. And Kemper would say he'd watch her leave with her purse jam-packed. And he's like, what's in your purse, Grandma? She's like, oh, nothing, nothing, Ed. Nothing, just going to the store. And he's like, looks like you got your gun in there, Grandma. She's like, no, no, no. Just gonna, just gonna go to the store. And then she goes to the store, and then he'd go look for the gun. And she's like, and would you believe it? She took her gun like she didn't trust me with it. I can't <laughs> believe was, it. And that's literally in the interview a- hours after he murdered, after he confessed to all the murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's literally just being like, and you believe she'd take that gun, like, from me? <laughs> that's unbelievable, Ed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in August of 1963, uh, 1963, shot his grandmother in the back of the head as she was sitting at the table reviewing a children's story she had just written. Oh, she wrote it? Yeah, she wrote it. Was it called the the mouse and the brain splatters? Yeah, (laughs) when your grandson comes from behind you and blows your brains out, and then he fucking blew her brains out. Fired Uh, two more shots into her back and then stabbed her. But, you know, some people say uh, three times seems to be the consensus of how many times he stabbed her in the back. So he shot her thrice and stabbed her thrice. And then when his grandfather came home, he fucking shot his grandfather. Father, according to him, because you're gonna also see this a lot, where he's like, I he I didn't, I wanted to save him the sight of my dead grandmother. Oh, yeah. that's nice, Ad. Uh, yeah. But he says this all the time. He it's it's a pretending thing. It's a distancing thing. He says this all the same thing with the with the girls, where he was like, when he the, the first double murder he does, and he separates them, and he's like basically just being like, because I, I wanted to be nice to the, the the nice blonde one that was sitting in the front with me, and I wanted to save her the sight of watching her best friend get murdered, and it's this 
it's it's a it's a distancing, and it shows how much of a sociopath he is because he thinks by saying that he's saying that for our benefit, yeah. not his. He's saying that so he feels better in it's the, the moment. Closest thing he can come to compassion. Yes, and because because he says here when he asks why he shot his grandmother, he says, "I just wondered what it felt like to shoot grandma." But there could also have been a part of the fact that a lot of his stories were trying to get an insanity plea going for himself, and then because in, in another interview he says. He shot his grandmother because she reminded him so much of his mother. Yeah, because she was pretty domineering as well, which might tell you why uh, Ed Sr. married Clarnell in the first place. Yeah. Well, it A lot does of times seem, men marry their mothers. It does seem like Ed needed some structure. So I might say <laughs> I'm going to err on the side of the women in both of these cases because it seems like Edmund Kemper was a sociopath. He oh. needed a tiger mom. Yes, he did. <laughs> Well, he was uh, declared a paranoid schizophrenic by a court. He was 15 at the time and sent to Atascadero State Hospital in the criminally insane unit. There, California Youth Authority psychiatrists and social workers strongly disagreed with the psychiatrist's diagnosis. They said, no, he is not a paranoid schizophrenic. He's a fucking sociopath. Yeah, he's Ooh. a completely, he's an empty vessel. Yeah, they, and you're going to watch him play this system in this hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah, they said he showed, quote, no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. He was diagnosed as having personality trait disturbance, passive aggressive type. All right. Oh, so, interesting. It quickly would boil into aggression, I guess. And he was 17 yeah. at this point, right? Or like 16? 15. Okay, cool, cool, cool. 15 just, when he killed him. 16 by the time he got to Tascadero. You described every comedian I know. <laughs> He's just a young, up-and-coming... If there was just some more open mics around... He could have been spinning some wonderful jokes at random saloons. He was just a shame. Just too tall to be on TV. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling. Thanks, Hollywood. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a pedophile. It's I'm not the rest in your of us circle. are tiny. All yeah. the actors are so tiny. But they look fun. so fat on screen, and then you meet them in real life, and they're so cute and tiny and small. Um, mm-hmm. So, so he started working at the, he started working at this mental hospital, and he managed to worm his way again using his. This is where you're going to see it. He's so affable and friendly and easy to like. As a guy, he became immediate best friends with a psychologist. Well, the reason why he was able to ingratiate, ingratiate himself with the psychologist, much like he would with the cops later, Atascadero had 1,600 patients. Dozens of them, them were murderers. Over 800 were rapists. And there was a psychiatry staff at only 10. Yes. And so, so they're Kemper's, looking. Yeah, he's not the worst one there by any means. But God, they're also no. looking for allies. Yeah. They want allies because everybody does. Because even in the end, they, it's like in prison, too. It's like. Uh, uh, prison guards will match up with prisoners and befriend them to basically find out if shit's going on on the inside. You you, you get advanced warning of stuff. But so when they befriended each other, and again, I mean, he's 15. He, he seems like, that's what he said, it just seemed like he was just a lost, friendly kid. And by the way, his IQ tested at 140. Yes. Near genius level. And so, so he had, so while he was working with the psychologist, basically made him sort of like his little assistant, he had access to hundreds of case studies, which went into grisly detail about like crimes and rape. And like basically he figured out how to use, and, bas- and, and also like results of psychology tests and stuff like that. Yeah, he g- learned all the methods, he learned how these, and most importantly, he learned how these guys got caught, and the most important lesson that he learned from these guys, as far as killing goes, is that you do not leave any witnesses when you rape someone. 
That's how all of these. You because don't leave any witnesses. You would think that's one hundred and one, and you yeah. don't leave any. <laughs> and you don't leave any physical evidence. Oh, I thought rape one hundred and one. I mean, the first lesson I think if I were to teach a class called rape one hundred and one, I'd be like, "Don't do it, guys." <laughs> well, that right. Be, that would be of day course. one. <laughs> day two. I tricked you coming in here. Don't just <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. no. So, but he also said. I mean, he was also just jerking off to yeah. all the pictures of, of raped women and and all the people telling about how what they raped. And what they did when they raped, and he was just jerking off, having a great time. And you yeah. see, you saw this uh, also with Richard Ramirez. And this is a very important time in the development of uh, your sexuality. Yes. And both of these guys, their sexuality got tied up with violence and rape at a very young age. Because he right. started realizing, because he felt so awkward about himself personally that he, uh, I feel like he got an early, an idea at an early age of like, if I want it, I gotta go take it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And about his worth ethic, the psychiatrist that he befriended, he wrote, he was a very good worker, and this is not typical of a sociopath. He really took pride in his work. Yeah, because his work was thumbing through grotesque pictures of raped women that he was coming to. Yeah, he was having yeah. a you know, he was do It was his dream job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he would help administer tests to other prisoners, and in the process of administering these tests to him, he got an extremely clear idea of what psychiatrists considered insane and sane. So he was able to play the system to such a way where by the time he was 21, only did five years in this hospital for killing both of his grandparents, right. by the time he was 21, he had convinced these psychiatrists that he was ready to go out back into the outside world. They thought he was cured. Right. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. always good to send him out there just, just as soon as they can start drinking hard. You know, <laughs> that's great. That's going to be so, perfect for the sociopath. And we're going to see a time now. So now that he's out of jail and he's 21, we're going to basically see the same thing happen to him that happened to Manson. Is that in those five years he was gone, when he comes out on the other side, the hippie movement's now going on. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and so he, also, and he missed the whole beginning. Yeah, and he missed also he missed his adolescence completely from sixteen to twenty one. The yeah. only people hung, he hung out with were middle aged men and rapists. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, but he, he definitely <laughs> I mean, a better environment than the one that he was in previously. It sounds like. Well, I don't, and, know. And, and, I don't know though. And speaking of that, when he was released, psychiatrist. All of them strongly recommended that he not live with his mother, and they oh, sent him they, straight to his. They mother. sent straight. They they recommended yeah. like put him in a halfway house. I thought they recommended that he go play basketball. Oh. <laughs> hey Edmund, do you play basketball? No, I am a serial killer. You oh, know what's okay. so funny? I was in a Target the other day, and a guy, this janitor, was there. Was 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 making was making was cleaning the floor, and he said to me, "He's like, man, if, if I was your height, mm-hmm. I'd be playing basketball to Kissel." Standing next to him. Yeah, that's a great bit. <laughs> ben Kissel does a stand up bit. A stand up comedy bit. Stand up comedy bit. Move on! Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! 
by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chop. Texas Pete sriracha sauce. And I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chai. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at Texas Pete. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. 
Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So the two, after Ed moved back in with his mother, the two moved to Santa Cruz, where Clarnell, now with the last name Strandberg. Oh, yeah. Clarnell Strandberg, she became an administrative assistant at the University of California. And this is going to be right. his gateway drug. Yeah. To all the all the Yikes. to the to all of these poor women. Now this is a very interesting fact right here is that his mother was extremely popular and very helpful at her job on campus. Yeah, this Everybody is, loved her. That's how it always right. is. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, I think that his mother wasn't crazy. She nailed it. I think she, she was he's a sociopath. She saw it when he was a baby. It was like literally a thing where she's like she saw him he was always weird. He was was always a little yeah. fucked up, and she was looking at him and just being like, I must kill it. You send them to a therapist. Yes. Well, you whatever. don't send them to the basement. It doesn't matter. Either way, she harvested this demon creature inside of her womb and then birthed the monster. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> uh, so she was divorced for the third time, and she blamed Ed for all of it. She said, because of you, my murderous son, I haven't had sex with a man in five years. Oh, it's because your bush is all hairy, and it yeah. smells like random tuna. Yeah, it's because <laughs> You look like if Hakeem Olajuwon had sex with the Wicked Witch. Come on. Yeah, don't blame Ed on the fact he can't get any dong. Yeah, you're a six-foot-tall monster woman. So Kemper got a job with the California Highway Department, moved to a tiny little apartment of his own, but couldn't escape his mother. His mother would constantly call him. She dropped that by the apartment unannounced. What, what is wrong sure, with this woman? She's trying to make sure he's not raping anybody. <laughs> well, I, I just feel like if you don't like your son, leave him alone. I don't know. I think she, I, again, I'm starting to completely turn. I used to blame the mother, but now I just think she is trying to stop a massacre from Well, him. now I'm blaming the mother. You gotta leave this kid alone. So, Kemper, what he really wanted, he really wanted to be a cop. Of course well, they he did. all want right. to be cops. <laughs> he tried to get a job with the California Highway Patrol, but he was too big. Yeah, That's it's a- not the monster squad. <laughs> he has bolts on the side of his neck. The guy looks like Frankenstein. There's no, no way. You mean to tell me, I think I think cops should be six foot nine, 300 pounds. Well, he wanted well, to be a chip. He wanted to be the guy on the motorcycle. That's a problem. He looked well, like a bear on a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> he looked like a circus him. act. Him driving <laughs> no. past. They'd but, be like, look at this guy. I agree. Bigger cops. Big cops don't shoot. We can just grab them. You just grab people and yeah, hold yeah, on to true. them. Yeah, they swing arms like Andre the Giant from the Princess Bride. Yeah, that would be amazing <laughs> if someone just knocks on the top of your car and you're just like, oh, and then you're just like looking at his dick and officer, what? where are you? And he's way up there. Isn't that cute? Because of how tall he is? Because of how tall he is. Did he play basketball? <laughs> you live no, the I'm life of pain, killer. Kissel. I can hear it. <laughs> no, I didn't. So he... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. So instead, since he couldn't join the highway patrol... This oh, is when man. he starts hanging out with cops. You know what? This is so, uh, uh, it's a little bit different, but my uncle was too fat for the army. <laughs> I swear to God. I just remembered this. And he came back and he was super sad, but he just, he loved the army. And then he became a police officer because he was only 6'3", and, and they you, let him in. And yeah, exactly. And you can't be too fat to be a cop. No, 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 no. That was a requirement. Yeah, you can be too tall, but you can't be too fat. Yes. Interesting. Yes. But yeah, he, he was too fat for the army. I'll never forget when he got back that day. He was crying. But, uh, <laughs> but I was just like, you're fat. You are very fat, Uncle Grant. That's who I'm named after. Yeah, yeah. They would just, they would literally just use you as a body shield. I don't know why you wanted to go so bad. So he started going to this place called the jury room. Which is weird Ooh. that it's a cop bar because the one thing cops hate to do is go to fucking court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. weird. Like jurors. Yeah, it's the worst thing for him. Uh, and he was able to go here. He was able to sneak his way 
into the cop circle because he was this big, genial guy. He was just seen as like a harmless ex- eccentric. They called him a cop groupie. Yeah, they call it because that, that happens a lot. And again, it's like Charles Manson, the music scene, where it's just like a guy, just yeah. a guy in the background who's just like, you guys want to hear, uh, you guys want to hear Jumpin' Jack Flash or the jukebox again? I know it's been seven times, but it's kind of my favorite. <laughs> it is a fun one, but this is totally different than Manson because Manson was like, fuck the pigs. You know, he was total counterculture. And this is like the hippie movement and we're this is like the 70s now. Yeah. And he was just like, I'm, I'm going to start loving the cops. He was at their super, peak of when everybody hates him. He was very conservative because he was more comfortable in the conservative world well, because, because he was so uncomfortable with himself. Well, and yeah. it's because also you have that same thing with Ted Bundy. He's a good old Republican boy. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's you, you You have the facade. It's Republicans, every time they have a sex scandal, it's so much more deprived than anybody it's just else. So much, depraved. It's just obvious. Yeah. It's just anybody who wears a suit for a living is getting his dick sucked by a boy somewhere. It, I mean, <laughs> that's how that shit goes. It's possible. Any, I don't any, know. Any man you see who gets his, like, shoes polished at the airport has had <laughs> sex with a dead woman. Well, you got to get the, you gotta get the uh, yeah, evidence off of it, I guess. Oh, here's something real cute. One police officer even gave him a police academy trainee's badge and a little identification card so he could pretend. I am, so I am 22 years old. I am 22 years old, sir. You can have a real badge. I, need I a would real just, badge. I would just use that Edinburgh Ed to fucking give me the airplane all the time. Oh, like lay fun. on top of his feet, going, "I'm flying, I'm flying." <laughs> so in the middle, uh, when Ed started killing later on, in the middle of his murder spree, he'd go to the cop bar, and the cops would freely discuss details of the case with him. Most importantly, they would tell him what traps they were setting. They would tell him what right. sort of uh, methods they were trying, they were using to try to catch him. So he had the inside information on everything. Yes, but then he also, it also made him super paranoid, which we'll see too, is that yeah. it made him kind of uh, expand on that, uh, on his own, thinking they were onto him and shit like that when the, kips, the cops actually had nothing. Yeah. That what kind of traps were this? Any like glue traps? Yeah, Random, yeah, like yeah, yeah. bear traps. Well, they were doing it well I, got, I got a ham sandwich and I tied it to a tree. So as soon as he attacks that, we they found would our take killer. A Christmas tree and put a bunch of free presents around it and mm-hmm. put a sign on it said free presents. Right. And then they'd leave a window open to a room and they do is put a bunch of tacks underneath the uh, That's the window so, and micro machines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Ed, as we said earlier, he completely missed the '60s and completely missed his adolescence altogether. Said he felt like a Big old bumble butt. Uh, and, you know, like I said, he wanted to be a chips. He wanted to ride a motorcycle. So he bought a motorcycle for himself, uh, wrecked it, oh. bought another motorcycle, <laughs> wrecked it. Oh, bumble butt. Because not only is bumble butt a feeling and, and, a, and a persona, but it's also an actual syndrome. His butt yeah. was five feet across. It would bumble. <laughs> yeah. And it's honestly, no, he does. He's kind of pear shaped. He's got a big old swinger on the bottom of him. Yeah. And it's very hard to stay on a motorcycle. Oh, poor guy. So, and then when you see a six foot nine guy fall off a motorcycle, you don't have to help him up because he's big enough to do it himself. You just laugh at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the second one wasn't his fault. So he got a settlement out of that. And with his settlement, he bought a yellow Ford Galaxy. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and he. Figured something. He figured out a plan uh, to, I guess, get to know people of the younger generation. 
he's going to start picking up female hitchhikers. Oh, that's now, a great way. Before Tinder. And now, what he said, uh, uh, what he has said, which I don't know if I believe or not, is that he was not necessarily rehearsing to start killing. Yeah. But what he would do is he would go and pick up a girl on the street. If you see a girl walking by herself, he said originally he'd pick up anybody. Yeah. Uh, but then it started to be only women, and then he would kind of pepper them with conversation and learn from them what what things they like to see in male people who pick up hitchhikers for, and, that are men uh, and 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 what makes them feel comfortable and stuff like that. And he would talk to him and he would start to have sexual fantasies. And what we're going to see in this time period is what we talk about all the time about like serial killers give themselves little allowances mm-hmm. and they do a thing where they'll be like, well, now I can, I can do a little bit like, like I can kind of expand it. And they kind of accidentally find themselves completely rigged up to be a murderer. It's like Gary Ridgway where yeah. I thought he was- starts, he starts going to prostitutes and then he says like, okay, well now I can get a little rougher with them. Now, I can start choking them a little bit while I have sex with them. And then eventually he accidentally chokes one to death, finds out that it makes him calm fucking buckets. Yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's sort yeah. of like, uh, kind of like Ben Bailey's cash cab, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like you cash kinda, cab. You have many, you started off easy, you know, yeah, but yeah. then of course it gets much, much so, more difficult to he, survive. He said he compared it to chess. Yeah. It's like, it was like a chess game that he would like learn from them, ask them so like what, what he felt comfortable. And he said what he would do is, he's just like, literally he was like, now you can't do it. You're just driving the car around. You can't just yank the wheel over and pick up a girl because they're going to know you've been drooling over them for about a mile. So what sure. you got to do is you got you to pull over. You got to look at your watch and act like, ah, do I even have time for this? Look and like, and like, so he had this system then. Yeah. Yeah, he had a definite system, and he had been developing a persona for himself that would be helpful throughout uh, you know, the next few years, uh, the gentle giant persona. You know, something like he's just a big guy, he's really nice, he could be, he can look a little bit off, but, oh, no, 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 he said he's just kind right, of awkward. Right. He said women would open the door, look at him, and be like, oh, I'm just looking at a, like, he literally used the term, he's just like, oh, he's just a big old dork. Yeah. Hey, right. I can get in the car with this dork. Yeah, yeah, You know, because yeah. he is. He is. Yeah. He just happens well. to be a dork that's 300 pounds and fucking wants to rape your dead body. You know what I mean? he's a dork. <laughs> that I mean, is a dork. That is That's a me, dork? That's a dork. So when people are like, oh, you big old dork, they're like, oh, you're six foot nine, you want to have sex with women's heads? Yes. Okay. So as Henry said, the behavior started to escalate. First, it started with groping women. uh, As far as thinking about groping women. And then he started practicing techniques for trapping the girls in the car with them. Because he had a coupe. Yeah. Right. So it was one of those where it was a four seater, but it had just one side door. Yeah. And so what he would do is because he was so big, he said he would start playing this game when he'd have a hitchhiker in there and be like, I think your door is, I think your door is open and he mm. can reach across them, go to the handle. And what you do, he'd palm a chapstick and he'd pop open the door and close it again and then drop the chapstick behind the door handle so that it wouldn't open. Yeah. Uh, so they are trapped in the car Classic. and he would do this as dry runs often. And then be like, oh, something must be wrong with this door, and then go fix it and let him out. Yeah. So eventually he started carrying a gun underneath his seat. Like, that's how it, that was the next escalation. That was the next allowance. Then he started keeping plastic bags, knives, a blanket, and handcuffs in the trunk of his car. And by mm-hmm. his estimation, he said that he picked up around 150 hitchhikers 
any of whom could have been chosen. 150 with the gun right. and with all of the equipment in there. Like any of the 50. And then he said he finally felt the inner drive, the urgent need. He called it his little zapples. Oh, yeah. little zapples sounds like it's kind of fun, though. It sounds like a, like a hostess cake. Yeah, well, I love a little zapples. Got a little um, strawberry filling. But also during this time period, he would kind of go into an inner monologue with himself with these because that was kind of his problem. It's because he could not broach conversation with these women properly. Properly and connect to them. He was nailing it, but not they were really. Into his car. No, because they were at a, at a distance to him. He started to view some as friendly and some as haughty, and it was like, and he would begin to because he kind of had a Madonna horror complex, uh, like obviously, where he'd be like, he, he thought he was a Madonna. He thought he was a whore. No, it's like he had he viewed women as either innocence or sluts, and that was it. That's the only spectrum he had. So it's like if she was or like someone that was like she thought that she was too good for him. Like, because that's what his mom would say. His mom was like, basically leading up to that, he was like, he wanted his mom to introduce him to to girls at the on campus, and she said no mm-hmm. because they're too good for you. Well, well they were. Yes, exactly. That's what I said at the beginning. He's that big dumpy guy who says, you know what? You know, for me, only thing for me is a pretty girl. I can't have like a bit. I can't have a girl that's a little frumpy. I have to have a pretty girl. He's like uh, Clark Griswold's what is it cousin or whatever who rolls over in the trailer home during Christmas vacation. Oh, cousin Ed. Cousin I Ed. I don't got yeah. a job. I'm holding out for shitter's a management full. position. <laughs> I'm holding out for a management position. Yeah, the shitter's full. <laughs> it's like this guy is totally. De- this is where this is where the delusion, the delusional aspects of his personality really come through. The idea that he can that he thinks he could get an attractive. Well, it's also like Henry said, these are the Gamergate guys. These are Gamergate yeah, guys. I don't even know what Gamergate is. Well, but, I mean, it's okay. So it's the types of guys that's like, all women are fucking bitches. Because they won't talk to them and they view any, because they can't connect to anyone. Yeah. They start viewing people as like, you just think you're too fucking good for me, you fucking bitch. Exactly. They probably are. And it's like, the, it's one of those things where it's like, you know what? Girls always go for the assholes. Why can't they go for a nice guy like me? They go yeah. for a lot of nice guys. You're probably the asshole. And so Edmund oh, Kemper's yeah. nice guy and the real monster became so separated. Yeah. You know, so it's like now you're looking at it's like the nice guy. It's true because he's always like, why could they just be with the nice guy like me? Because but the problem is, is that because he's a sociopath, he's forgotten that the nice guy persona is completely constructed. Yeah. It's like that's the most convenient part about a sociopath is that you can create your fake personality and then it just kind of lives like a tulpa. Like it's now like it lives. Now the, the nice guy Edmund Kemper is the real guy to you, but he's still separate because he talks about it all the time about how there's two hmm. of him and that there's and the, the one of them that's it's the inner monologue him is the one that's actually sitting in the driver's seat staring at the women just being like you think you're too fucking good for me that's mm-hmm. what this is. You think you're well, too fucking good. If there's two of them, they're definitely stacked on top of each other. He is very <laughs> tall. But if he... Uh, that if was he, the thing is that I really feel like the police, they, they really did a bumble up of the job when they didn't realize he was just seven kids in a trench coat. Oh, my God. <laughs> you have to always look out. Is it a raccoon in a bunch? Yeah. Um. But the, if he wouldn't have crashed his motorcycles, he could have never picked up hitchhikers, huh? Yeah. You never... I mean, he probably would have saved up for it. I bet he was really good at, like, pinching pennies, like, saving up his money. When it comes yeah. to buying the things he loves. 
It's yeah. like if Hitler was nowadays and we could have just gotten him a tablet, he would have been an artist. <laughs> um, so now no. let's go into it. So he's ramped up now and he's ready to go. He is primed to kill. So yeah, that's the end of... Uh, the beginning. The, the end of the beginning. The, of end, of the, beginning. Yeah, the end of the beginning. This We're is like have... a lot of these heavy hitters where it's like we... You have to... Um, before you hear about the murders, you have to understand the man. Because he is... Because uh, to, to be honest, it's both... He's both... Very unique of a killer, but also we see a lot of the Similar. same strains, a lot of the same signs of somebody. It's just what he does next. Yeah. His crimes. So basically what you mm. got is an informational episode. The next episode, it's all about that head rape. <laughs> but we still don't know if he played basketball. He did not. He did, he not. did not. Oh, he never did? <laughs> he, he absolutely never did. And, and as far butt. as like Kimber goes understanding this guy, uh, I think he is uh, both, both typical and atypical, but like a lot of serial killers there are levels there like you can compare Kemper to a lot of different guys as we have you could also compare Bundy to a lot of different guys yes, I mean, you could, you could compare Gacy like Gacy is a small town politician with delusions of grandeur also kind of a bumblebutt also kind, kind of a bumblebutt Tom Wayne Gacy was also, a charmer <laughs> but he also killed 30 kids uh, you know I'll put it uh, yeah. uh, and uh, I want to put this question to you we talked about this the other night we were pretty hammered um, when are we going to get the next one yeah, the next and, big hitter. I don't think it. I don't think oh, it's ever going to happen again. Oh, we'll we'll get it. It's happening right now. We just don't know about it. Yeah. Absolutely. I gotta, what, what was he just? It's weird how you said that and like your eye like twitched. No, 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 no. Sweat, like ran down. The your comedian head. killer. <laughs> no, no, I'm far too large. <laughs> no, you, you really can't. Every Kemper opens the Jackie yeah, Robinson of fucking <laughs> that, that is true, but there's cameras and everything. There's no way to kill anymore. The next killer. You thought we're about it? Hear, no, no, I never thought about yeah. it. The next killer we're gonna see is gonna be like in the woods of Montana or something. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, there, I think there, it's two reasons. I think it's cameras, and I think it's Facebook. We also had Chris Kyle, by the way, who wrote a book about it. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he was he killed he was, 241. He was our guy. And we made him an easy. Our government hero. made him. So yeah. that was our uh, last serial killer, for better or for worse. So the first, I also just want to say, uh, really sorry about uh, the the uh, the UK tour. Yeah, we're, it, it's yeah. against our. It's out of our control. We yeah. found out about it like you guys found out about it. Like pretty much, kind of dropped in our lap. Uh, we are coming. It look, it's looking like October. Uh, is when we haven't gotten concrete dates yet, but we are coming to the UK. You have no idea how much we fucking wanted to go. Yeah, um, it's just beyond our control. I packed we, all the beer in my bags already. Which is weird because we said that they invented fucking beer. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. They yeah. sell Bud Light there. I know. I was going to bring some over though too, just so I could we could look at the cultural differences between the cans. But we will fucking <laughs> get there. Uh, I also want to plug my friend's Kickstarter called Frankenstein Created Bikers. Uh, I'm going to put it on the Facebook page. It's a fucking going to be a nuts movie yeah this is uh if you you should watch the film dear god no uh and you'll see what it is a bit of a, it's a it's a rape horror yeah. all right well, um, you know, <laughs> devil's devil's rejects has elements of yes, that yes that's it's the same thing it's like devil's rejects it's pretty intense it's it's kind of like a, it's a grindhouse movie oh Ooh, okay grindhouse in a while well for your last podcast on the left t-shirt be sure to go to cavecomedyradio.com slash last podcast on the left $25 domestic $40 international mm-hmm. go to iTunes rate and review and be sure to follow us on Twitter uh, that's uh, Twitter at LP on the left and go to Facebook and uh, join the group we got almost 4,000 members yeah, on the nice. Facebook group and now. subscribe so, yeah. to iTunes. Please rate us five stars. If not, go fuck yourself. All right. That's <laughs> Henry Loves You on Twitter. I'm at Ben Kissel. That's at Marcus Parks on Twitter. Hail Satan. Oh, Satan, thank you for the strength that you've given me these last few days. And I just want to say, um, please let me control the storms. Okay. <laughs> you, you're, you have, this is you full of strength? Sort of. All right. 
Um, <laughs> all right, let's do a hail yourselves, everybody. Thank you guys so much hail for listening. Me. Thank you so much for supporting all the shows here on CCR. And Heil Gein. Hmm. And Magustalations. Oh, yeah, Magustalations. Hey, guys, um, take a close off. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.